Welcome to episode 199 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode five, Truth, directed by Kari Skoglin, written by Dallin Musson, and the head writer for the series is Malcolm Spellman. But before we begin our spoiler review, just want to let you know once again about our Patreon, where we have exclusive podcasts not available anywhere else, including the Marvelous Moments series, where we highlight some of the biggest, best, and most iconic scenes in MCU history. That podcast series and other exclusives are available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes. Make sure you're also following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to those of you who have already done so. Now, on with our show. Paul Herman, how you doing? I am uh, I am well. I'm filled filled with uh, grilled cheese and ketchup and uh, <laughs> some tater tots. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm uh, I'm I'm filled with Moderna right now. So Oof. got my second shot on the day of this nice. recording. Happy to be vaccinated. Not fully vaccinated for a couple more weeks, but mm. uh, that's not what this show is about. This show is about truth because that's the title of the fifth episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And truth is a really good title for this episode and the series just keeps getting better and better for me i know the third episode not our favorite so maybe it hasn't Mm -hmm. been a constant upward trajectory but it was still a good episode and then fourth the fourth episode had been the best one yet until this week just love this one so much and so excited to talk about it so we open in pretty much the immediate aftermath from last week. So it ended, of course, with John Walker, the new Captain America, killing Nico from the Flag Smashers under the idea that Nico is the one who killed Lamar Hoskins' Battlestar. We, of course, know that's not what happened. And even John Walker knows that's not what happened, but he's convinced himself otherwise now that he's Mm. murdered Nico. So last week's episode ended with that blood on the shield. And now here we are very close to that moment John Walker has run off. He's in some abandoned warehouse or whatever. And he is, we see John Walker just continuing to lose it and just continuing to lose touch with reality. And then Sam and Bucky walk up and it's time to take back the shield. And this scene was so good, Paul. I mean, the conversation ahead of it Mm -hmm. and then the fight was really good. I really like that Sam continued to lead with the compassion. So Walker's trying to convince himself that Nico was the one who killed Lamar. And he's trying to, you could already tell, he's just really trying to spin and commit to that lie. And of course, Bucky is calling him out on it. That's not what happened. But Mm -hmm. Sam is still trying to empathize. He does try to tell Walker it was the heat of battle. I don't really know that it was anymore, uh, but it was heat of battle. And Sam is saying they'll consider your record. And Sam just says, bottom line is they just don't want anyone else to get hurt. And you got to give me that shield. And then Walker takes it as it's it's about the status of Captain America and wanting the shield back as if it's not about what he just did. Um, and so Walker's saying, you don't want to do this. And Bucky gets that great line. Yeah, we do. Yeah, because, of course, they totally do. Bucky said it before. He wants to take that shield from Walker. And now here's an opportunity. But it's not just taking the shield from Walker because believing Walker's not worthy of it because of 
things they don't necessarily know about Walker. This is based on what John Walker just did. And so I still like that Sam, I think it's key for Sam Wilson here, though, that in the same yeah. way that he was compassionate and empathetic and tried to see Carly Morgenthau's perspective, he's actually trying to do the same thing for John Walker. You did this terrible thing, but I understand why it happened. And it doesn't mean that you're not accountable for it. You are still responsible, but maybe there will be a path forward for you from this that, that doesn't necessarily have to be as bad as things look right now. And it certainly doesn't have to end in more violence. So Sam is trying to avoid that. And it's, it's just such a key thing for Sam Wilson when we look at projecting forward, I mean, who he's been this whole time, but his future is Captain America, that he just never really leads with the fight, does he? Like, he's just always mm -hmm. trying to find a way to have a peaceful resolution first. Now, because these are superheroes and things, there's going to be fights and there's no way around that, and nor would I want a way around that. I, I like superhero mm -hmm. action as much as the next person, but I like that Sam continues to lead with peaceful resolution. Yeah, this was a, man, first of all, I, I was a little bummed out about John Walker and what he did because I, I am a John Walker fan. Still, after, after this episode from the comics, even this version of him, I'm still a fan of the character. Now, I was hoping, like in the comic books, there would be something where he would kind of come to his own terms, which we'll get to him later on in the show. Right. But, at this, but for this moment specifically... I was bummed out it didn't go that route because I really thought that maybe afterwards and be in that whole scene with him in, in the empty warehouse was a great moment, uh, at least from uh, the perspective of the, someone that he's living with what he did. Like mm -hmm. he's regretting what he did. I think that was important for the show to establish. But his ego and his, um, uh, you know, just his stubbornness and, or whatever is uh arrogance i should say i was, I was mm -hmm. trying to say his arrogance his ego all that stuff was getting in the way when they showed up because again he becomes defensive but at that right. moment everything you could tell he was regretful he, he you know what he did he knew he messed up but at the same time he's trying to rationalize it to them because he doesn't want to be held accountable because he's captain america that's what he thinks in his head but I think it's key, like as as it's key for Sam. I think it's key for Walker too, because we get to see as an audience that he's not he's not just like yeah, that's right, I did it. Like you know what I mean? Like he, which I think a lot of people may people may, may have expected him to act like after that moment, because the way he was acting, the way they kind of perceive him to be, mm -hmm. and that wasn't what he was. He was he, he was regretful. He was like, I this is awful. His friend was dead. What he had done. You know, I think he everything. was and he wasn't. I think it's. I, I agree I, with that. Yeah, I agree that he was regretful, but I think where he really goes off the deep end is how he responds to that regret. Absolutely. His response is denial, because Absolutely. that's what he's doing. Yeah. He's denying the gravity of what he did, and he's lying to. He's lying to Sam and Bucky. He lies to Lamar's parents. He lies to mm -hmm. everybody that this is the guy who killed Lamar. But right. included in that group of people he's lying to is himself. He's trying really hard to convince himself mm -hmm. that he killed Lamar's killer because he can't live. He What he would really struggle to live with is, is the idea that he killed the person who wasn't even responsible, meaning he had no excuse for killing that guy. Right. No. And I think, and again, I, there's nothing rational of what he did. But again, we'll get into Walker, you know, more details. Because I think, I think he's, I actually like where they're kind of taking the character a little bit. Um, but whatever, we'll, we'll just kind of get to that in a second, but I, I, you're right. 
you're totally right. He's trying to he's trying to basically basically rationalize it and deny it. And that's and a lot of people do that. That's in every that's what people do when they make mistakes. I mean, I think it's a very human nature thing to do. I've been guilty of that too. When I'm like, you know, when I know I'm in the wrong, I'm just going to try to, you know, justify every everything I can to make it right, you know, even though maybe I'm wrong for whatever, you know, big or small reasons uh or big things. But I think it's important to know that he's not just a soulless person. No. And I think there there is I think there is value in his character to where he's you you can understand a little bit where he's coming from. Not saying you agree with him, but you understand where he's coming from and, and where it's relatable to an extent of where you know the 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 deny, the, the deny uh, ability that he's trying to do. It's 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 such a you know it is an awful thing. Is look what he's doing. He's causing himself and others all this harm because of it. And mostly to be honest on himself, he's putting all his guilt on himself more than anything. Well, he um, should feel guilty. I mean, he did, well, for sure. he yeah, did well, a really bad thing. And I, I think that's where he's really struggling right now because he was asking the question about the super soldier serum last week. And when he had that conversation with Lamar and, and Lamar, Gave him, I mean, and I don't think Lamar was trying to intentionally and or knowingly give John Walker license to do anything. I mean, Lamar was having a hypothetical conversation and expressing the confidence that he had in his friend and in his friend's judgment. And Lamar probably had reasons for that, for what John Walker did when they were in their military career together. But I think for John Walker, he's always had this hope that being Captain America would mean something. We talked about that. He's wanted to feel good about himself because he didn't really feel that great about his military career. He didn't really feel exactly. that great mm -hmm. about his medals of honor. So he's been looking for external and internal validation this whole time. And he's really let himself down. So if you don't like John Walker, I have good news for you. He doesn't like himself that much either, deep down. I mean, he projects this confidence of he's sure he's right and he's sure he's all these things. But I also think he knows he's significantly less than that. And he knows how mm -hmm. deeply flawed he really is. But his response to it, though, is to go into denial, retreat into this idea right. that I'm doing the right thing. And that's also why he's relied so much on the title and shield of Captain mm -hmm. America. This means I'm right. I, I need it to mean that I'm right because I'm so desperate to feel like I'm right. And I think that's where right. John Walker is set up for uh, for his downfall. But then when they get into the physical confrontation, this was a really well done fight. I, I just the choreography of it, the way the whole thing was laid out and staged, I absolutely loved it. And I think it did a good job of showing what John Walker can do physically. I mean, it, you would look at it and say that it's an even match between John Walker and Bucky as just two super soldiers. But it's a struggle for Bucky and Sam together going up against John Walker. But I also like what Sam shows in terms of how inventive he is with his offense, with the wings. I know they get busted in this fight, but he's going to get new ones and they're going to be a lot stronger because they're going to be made of vibranium. But what we saw with Sam, though, was just how unique his offense could be and how he can compensate for, you know, using his Falcon costume, using the wings and everything like that. He does a really good job of compensating for the point that he doesn't have any superpowers. And I thought that looked really great. And tonally, the fight was so reminiscent of the end of Captain America Civil War. And I mean, you have John Walker losing his mind and being all creepy about it. I am Captain America. But then we get that visual that's a callback to last week's episode. John Walker lifting the shield up over his head, about to bring it down. 
um, on Sam, but that's also not just what happened last week. That goes back to the final battle uh, in Captain America Civil War. But uh, I thought emotionally the stakes of the fight really played very well. And then it was also just a really cool looking battle. And I love the end, the tag team finisher of Bucky, like swinging Walker into Sam, who's like flying into him with the shield. It was great. And the ending of that with Bucky picking up the shield and just dropping it at Sam. I mean, it even goes, that's another visual callback to Captain America Civil War where that fight ended with Cap dropping the shield and walking off. Uh, This is, I mean, it's a different motivation completely. Mm -hmm. Bucky is basically saying like, this is yours, take it, um, as he drops that shield off for Sam. But the most important thing for Bucky is they got it away from John Walker. And we already see what it means to Sam as he kind of starts wiping off some of the blood uh, that John Walker got on the shield from what he did last week. But the emotional stakes are pretty well defined in this. The character work between all three of these individuals is do- is really well done, and it's just a really cool-looking fight. Yeah, this was just... Wow. I, I just was eating pizza and just being like kind of my mouth kind of drop open while I'm trying to eat pizza. I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. It was so good. I... This was one of the better fights I'd seen in a Marvel anything for a long time. And there's been great fight scenes. I mean, you know, obviously Endgame and and what have you. But we haven't really seen a really good like superhero, like villain or whatever, like superhero, superhero battle, super battle, if you will, uh, on screen in a while where I felt like it was just a good, like good old scrap. Maybe not since Civil War, maybe. I mean, um, so it was just really, really creative. Like honey, you said, like it, 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 there was a lot of things that they were doing with it. They're, they're showing you how powerful John Walker is, how unstable he is. And, and that's the thing with, with fight scenes, especially in, in these uh, franchises that we love, whether you're, you're watching Marvel, DC, Star Wars, whatever, you always want the fight scenes to mean something. They mm-hmm. can't, I mean, it's, it's no, don't get me wrong. I love a good old, just fashion, just, just rocking out, just having seen action. I love that stuff. And I think it is needed sometimes, not mindless action, but just fun action, just to kind of get, you know, spice up the show or movie or whatever. But that being said, when you, for the, a good portion of your fight scene should be developing character in some way, shape or form. And this does that you, you already show that, John Walker's even, he is unstable. Like it's not just, he lost his mind once. This is a byproduct of the, the serum. And this is continuing that like he, these two people are talking rationally to him, but he does not hear them. He is just, you know, he's crazy. He's, he's gone yeah. overboard. And then you have the ideas of, you know, again, how strong he is and how, how much the super soldier serum is, is doing to him, setting up, setting up this up for the flag smashers later on in the next episode, in this episode or whatever, and then you also have the fact of Falcon eventually taking the mantle of Captain America and that how why, like you said, Sean, how is he capable of, you know, defending people if he's not a super soldier? He's already said, I won't take the serum. Right. So there's all there's so much they're setting up here to basically, you know, again, we'll get to the like I we should call this episode also the montage episode. Cause that's essentially yes. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> there are there are two different montages in this that were taken right out of the 80s slash 90s action film yeah. genre that I, as somebody who grew up in that era and loved those movies, I was tickled to death by yes. a couple of the montages right. that we got but, in this. It was, it was but, great. But yeah, and but in this fight scene, we get so much from, you know, setting up for those, for the end montage, we'll say, that it makes, a, again, it, it builds the character of Sam. And again, you, you brought up a great point. 
you're building up Sam's character to a point where you're setting it up where it makes sense for him to be able to take the shield and able to wield it and everything else. So as Captain America going forward. So there's so much great buildup also with Bucky you know, teaming up because I think that, again, I like Captain America having a partner, whether it be Steve or uh, or, or Falcon or, or whatever, or, or um, Sam's Captain America. Um, in the comic books, both characters and uh, versions of Captain America had partners in that way. So it was really cool to see. And like you said, the, how they took out U.S. agent, as I, as I like to call him now. Um, well, I as think, he will be starting will next be. week. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on and I, I just love how they took him out. It was perfect. And and again, the imagery in this show is, has been like really spot on. It's really heavy handed at times, which is thing in this series. Yes, it's good because I love the idea of it's Sam wiping off the blood. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's been shed. Now it's like, you know, we're, we're wiping the slate clean essentially with this blood because it's him, the, the rightful person doing it and taking it off and making it right. So there, I love that imagery and I, and I love whatever, yeah. whatever. Well, I, I think have. it's the, it's the beginning of that process, right? It's the, yes. it's wiping off the literal stain, but then you have the figurative one, which yes. is what Isaiah Bradley alludes to later on in the episode. And what's been there the whole time, as far as the, the legacy of the shield and how complicated it's always been. It wasn't complicated simply by what happened with John Walker last week. It was already there. It was last week, put a physical stain on it that anybody could see and and nobody could really deny, but there was another invisible one or invisible to some, um, but just as obvious to others like Sam and, and others who felt like that shield hadn't consistently represented all that it was supposed to symbolize for everyone the way that it was meant to. And so, yeah, wiping off the physical stain, I felt like that was the the first step. And then now there's a lot more work to do and going to be even harder to do all the other work. But it's work that Sam, we know, is going to ultimately believe is worth doing. Um, so just catching up on some of the aftermath from last week's episode, Carly and the rest of the Flag Smashers are in the wind. Bucky is going to go after Zemo, and we'll get to that scene in just a moment. Meanwhile, Torres is kind of setting the scene for us about what's going on because we were wondering about the external reaction to what John Walker did. And Torres is the one filling in the blanks for us that it is a big deal. Captain America just killed a foreign national and everybody saw it because the whole world was watching. The wings are broken, but Torres gets to keep them. So he's going to fix them up and Torres will get to be Falcon, new Falcon, I think, as he is in Marvel comic books. Um, So... And then Walker or Torres also says, sometimes there's nothing to do until there's something to do, which sets up some of the downtime that we have in this episode. But I say downtime, meaning it's not the A plot of action and chasing the Flag Smashers around and all of that stuff, but it is important character work that we'll get uh, in this episode. But uh, so that's where things are standing. And, and it really creates a scenario where Sam and Bucky don't get to immediately move forward with going after the Flag Smashers because the whole scene has been taken over. I'm The only thing that I'm a little, I don't know, taken, not, I don't want to say taken aback, that's the wrong phrase. The thing that was a, a little disappointing in this episode is I felt like we didn't get enough of that external reaction to what John Walker did. We didn't mm. get enough of the global reaction to it. It's like Torres kind of tells us and we see Walker being stripped of the title of Captain America, but something about that felt incomplete to me because as we talked about last week, you just feel like not everybody would immediately turn on John Walker. And instead, that's kind of how it was portrayed in this episode. And I don't really know that that's how it would actually go down. 
In fact, I'm mm-hmm. pretty much convinced that it wouldn't. Yeah. But uh, but there is, uh, you know, call me cynical, but there is something about that that is at least acknowledged uh, later on or in just a few moments as we go through Walker's hearing. So John Walker is stripped of the title. The same guy who introduced him, it turns out this guy's a senator, same guy who introduced him as the new Captain America is the one leading this hearing and saying that Walker has been stripped of his title and authority as Captain America, he's being given an other than honorable discharge, which means no retirement benefits for his military career for John Walker either. But Walker at least gets to have his day. Mm-hmm. And just because John Walker did something terrible doesn't mean that he can't have or can't make valid points. And he does mm-hmm. in his rant during this hearing when he says that he lived his life by their mandates. Yep. He did what they told him, what they trained him to do, and he did it well. And he puts the finest point on it when he says, you built me. And then says, Senator, I am Captain America. And John Walker's not wrong here. And this was some of the stuff that you talked about last week, Paul, that he was the soldier. He lived his life as the soldier. Now, he can say that all he wants, but I I think the one element to that that was, and it's been true for most of his career, but I think what he's leaving out, and this is what John Walker does, he leaves out key details or just flat out changes key details, like Nico's not the one who killed Lamar Hoskins. And the other thing that that Walker is leaving out here is nobody ordered him to go kill anybody in the Flag Smashers. Like, nobody ordered him to do that to Nico. He did that on his own. And there are a lot of things that Walker had been doing on his own that we didn't see him being ordered to do as Captain America, because once he became Captain America, he got a lot more authority and a lot more control. And he made the wrong choices when he had that power. It was absolute power corrupting absolutely, as it so often does. But even though Walker went the went down the wrong path, there's still a lot of his career and, and a lot of the cho- a lot of what made him into who he is. Or again, it's as he's saying, you built me. He's essentially saying that to the government, to the military, to everybody who praised him for everything that he had done in his career and rewarded him with that shield and the title of Captain America, essentially saying, you're responsible for me, too. This was, I think, one of the my favorite parts of the episode, just because it kind of what I was talking about last week is that John Walker is, yes, he's a flawed character. He's not the greatest guy in the world. Is he inherently evil? No, you can, he's a, he is a bully. Um, he is Hodge. Like I said before, he's Hodge from the first Avenger and he is literally if Hodge got the super, super soldier serum. What I think though, I think he's a better guy than Hodge. Honestly, I I would, I would agree there too. That's an, that's obviously an extreme take, but it's a decent comparison. Um, the reason why I think what I love this scene is you alluded to the idea that yes, like he had to kind of, you know, throw it right back at him because he has a point. It's not like, you know, yes, he made a giant mistake and you bring up a great point too, is that no one ordered him as captain America to kill anybody, but that's kind of the problem is that he was taking orders his whole life. And so he says, he's basically just kind of walking, you know, being, you know, here would be Captain America. And it's like, well, what does Captain America do? Well, Captain America would go on missions and, and do things, but he did it for shield. Well, shield doesn't exist right now at this point, as far as we know. So he's just kind of wandering, wandering around aimlessly and, and trying to, you know, capture these flag smashers that he knows that everyone wants him to take care of, but he's been a soldier his whole life. He has to, you know, no one's giving him orders. And not only that, but I think that he all, he has also alluded to the fact that he he's done a lot of things he's not proud of as a soldier. Mm-hmm. 
So there's, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to get into a political part thing about, you know, soldiers or anything like that, but in this particular character and what he alluded to in the previous episode with Lamar, he alludes to the fact of doing things he's not exactly stoked about or right. didn't feel good about. And when he says, you built me, that's exactly what I think is that he's trying to say, like, well, I did the same things when I was a soldier that mm -hmm. I did as Captain America. He probably did things out of anger, out of fear, out of whatever, I'm not saying it makes it right. But as a soldier, he probably was told, like, you did the right thing. And right now, he doesn't have anyone telling him that. And that's why he's trying to justify it. So that's why I kind of I wanted to say it a little bit of my John Walker stuff for this part. Because, granted, like, I don't condone at all what he did or what he probably did as a soldier that he regrets. But I think that's the thing right now is I think that being he needs that, that kind of someone to tell him, like, Soldier, just what you need to do. And he didn't have that. He did things on his own, so he couldn't really blame it on somebody else. He has only himself to blame. And I hope that's a part. I, I really do hope that John Walker sh is, is shown to have some redemption in a sense to where people can make mistakes, these do these things. And maybe they're a byproduct of, of what they are. Again, they're built on like this. He was literally built to be a killing machine or killing machines are too extreme, but a soldier to the do things. Maybe that we're the public wasn't really, uh, you know, given knowledge to and right. that i think that's why i love this scene because i think john and again the super soldier serum is making him a little more crazy than i think that and I, they've alluded to than what he normally would be but i love the fact that he kind of just throws it right back at him and says you guys built this like this is something you unleashed like yes you know i i pulled i'm the weapon you pulled the trigger. I mean, again, he didn't say that, but that's what way I interpreted what he was trying to get to them. Cause right now he's even more aimless than before, which we'll get into that in a second. But I, I think that to me is what the biggest thing was, is that he's Captain America. And you brought up a great point. He's just, you know, no one told him to do anything. And that's the problem. He's just doing what he was, was built right. on. Well, and that's where I would say that John Walker is ultimately the one who pulled the trigger. I mean, he killed right. Nico. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're the ones yeah, who yeah. put, they're the ones who put the gun in his hand over and over again. And when that gun became a shield, although he had a gun too, that wasn't necessarily going to change things. And and I think exactly. that when I look at with John Walker, all of his points here are valid. At the same time, he is still responsible for Absolutely. the choices he's made and, and his actions. There's no question about that. And I think that if we're talking about some potential path to redemption for John Walker, Acknowledging, of course, that this is different than real life anyway, because that's where we can be told yes. Loki, as I've said before, we can be told Loki killed 80 people in two days in order just to set up a joke, but it's still canon that he killed 80 people in two days in the Avengers. And we're still like, ah, Loki's cool. Let's watch his show. This is gonna, isn't June going to be fun. So yeah. I think that, you know, things, redemption arcs work differently when we're in these heightened realities, obviously. Sure. And so in those terms, in that context for John Walker, it's possible, but the first thing is he has to be in not totally, I mean, he's not a similar character to Loki in, in a lot of respects. They're very different characters, but mm -hmm. if there's one similarity in the situations is that like in any case of redemption, you have to acknowledge what you've done wrong. And that's the part that, that's the key part that Walker is missing because Walker has not acknowledged that he killed someone who wasn't even responsible for his friend's death. Even if he had killed Carly, that would have been, especially if we're not talking about in the heat of battle, in the middle of the fight, but actually has somebody down and defeated and then just executes them. That's already complicated enough. But then when we add in the point that the person he executed wasn't the one who was responsible for Lamar's death. So 
Uh, it just it adds to just how wrong it was for Walker to do what he did. And so I, I think that obviously in order for him to move forward, if there's going to be any path and I don't, if they choose not to redeem John Walker in the MCU, I'm fine with that. But if there yeah. is something that's going to get in that territory for him, then it has to start with him acknowledging what he actually did. And he's still not ready to do that when uh, we get to the end of this episode. Yeah. We'll see what comes of it next week. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, as I was mentioning, though, before about uh, just the the overall reaction and the government, you know, nobody really nobody really backs John Walker. And I would almost expect somebody to back John Walker. But really, I think what it comes down to, though, is they're not they're not stripping John Walker of the title because they really care that much about doing the right thing. It's just they have no choice. They need to be seen making the attempt to do the right thing. It's performative is, is what I think a lot of those actions against John Walker really are, which doesn't mean he doesn't deserve it. He totally deserves to lose the title of Captain America and deserves to have this permanent mark on his military record that is ultimately an other than honorable discharge. He deserves that. He deserves at least that much for what he did. But I think it is interesting, though, that they at least try to define that these guys are just acting in their own self-interest. They're not really trying to do anything that's about the betterment of Captain America or preserving the symbol. It's just preserving what they need it for. And that's what they're asking him for. They demand that he returns the shield with expedience uh, is what John Walker needs to do, because apparently they don't know that John Walker no longer actually has it. But somebody knows. And that somebody is Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. You can call me Val, but don't call me Val. Just keep it in your head. Played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus of wow. Seinfeld and Veep fame. And apparently, according to Vanity Fair, this is not the only time we're going to see this character in the near future. So she shows up, and it's just a delightful secret that Marvel Studios was able to keep that she was going to be in this project. And it's amazing. I mean, she shows up, and Julia Louis- I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is, of course, amazing, and she's just so on point. I mean, she steps in, and she gives this character a presence and a sense of history that we don't even have for this character yet. We don't really know this character in the context of the MCU, but we know that she knows a lot. I mean, she knows that Walker doesn't have the shield, and that's not exactly public information. She knows he took the serum. That also isn't exactly public information. And she and he's she's talking about how he's very valuable to certain people and talks about how the second best decision he's, he's ever going to make besides marrying his wife uh, is the, is to answer the call when Valentina eventually calls him what that's going to be for. I don't know. But she also talks about the shield and how that's not technically property of the government. It's a legal gray area and then leaves <laughs> with a blank business card. Such a great scene to introduce yeah. this character and. If you're head spinning wondering who exactly is this and you only know her as Julia Louis-Dreyfus, don't worry. Uh, we have the, we have you covered a little bit on that. Yes. So Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, her history is also complicated. I mean, she's a Spy Games type of character in Marvel Comics. So yes. she was a member of S.H.I.E.L.D., but she was also Madame Hydra. And yeah. so when we have a character like this who's been on both sides of the Spy Games in the Marvel Comics universe... Hydra isn't really around anymore in the MCU, as far as we know. I don't know if they're going to get into that history, but 
If they say that at one point she was affiliated with S.H.I.E.L.D., that could technically mean she was affiliated with HYDRA at the same time, because in the MCU version of events, S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA were together, even though S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't know it, the entire time. Like, literally Mm -hmm. the entire time S.H.I.E.L.D. existed, HYDRA was part of it. So if that's part of her history in some way, whether she had the title of Madam Hydra or not, that provides, there's plenty of ways to provide a backstory, an MCU-specific backstory for this character to explain how she knows so much. But the main point to me is it's a great actress playing this role with who gave a, a great presence in just this one scene, and I can't wait to see more of her in the MCU. Maybe we'll see next week. Vanity Fair reports that she was actually originally scheduled to appear in Black Widow first, so that would presumably Mm. still happen later this summer. But just a a great scene and a great introduction to a new character. That was such a out of left field when she sat down. So first of all, with her purple hair, I immediately immediately went to, is this Victoria Hand? (laughs) I was like, this is a new version? Because I know Victoria Hand was in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show for a minute. I'm like, wait. Because maybe, because I thought it might have been, because her shield, you know, with Victoria Hand's shield stuff, that maybe that's where she's going to go with this, with with uh, with Walker. And then when she said the name, I'm like, I, the name does not ring a bell. And when I did research, I was like, oh, it's from, she originally appeared in Jim Steranko's uh, original comic series with Nick Fury. And I've, and I grew up, I was never a big shield fan. I never read a lot of shield comic books and she mainly, and I was doing, as I did more research, she did appear in a bunch of cap uh, comic books, mm. but mostly Nick Fury, it's all shield Nick Fury stuff. But the name she went by at one point I was very familiar with, which was Madame or Madame Hydra. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, oh, I know that character. And, but that's why I mainly know the Viper character as Madame Hydra or whatever. So like you said, Sean, it's interesting why they put this character specifically. Now, I think that I love, what I love about the MCU, as I always say, is that they take so many different things and, and just are, they make it their own, but they also try to keep it entrenched somewhere in the character. Now, obviously this character is going to be working both sides on one angle or another. There's mm-hmm. something and and with with what's going on, we don't know what what, what her role is. Because I don't I don't I avoid spoilers with with Black Widow. I had no idea this was, this was coming. But I have to presume the fact that she went to Walker, I keep going back to Thunderbolts. I keep thinking this idea that whether she's working for Hydra or not, which I think Hydra definitely could be back in play. Cause I think shield has to come back or sword has to come back or whatever. There's gotta be some kind of, you know, organization pushing something at some point, but I think that she's got some tie to that. And that's why she gave Walker this blank card. It'd be interesting when I, and again, I'll, I'll talk a little, a little bit more about this into, um, potentially in, in my upcoming YouTube video, which I'll be doing for the, uh, series finale of, of Falcon winter soldier, but I'll kind of tease a little bit here. I think this kind of, goes into the rumors of the Thunderbolts or slash Dark Avengers kind of idea that we're going to get this. And she gives him his card, you know, and she's going to pop up also into Black Widow. There's something there. And I think that whether she represents a completely different organization than Hydra or Hydra itself, or she's a part of this new shield that is maybe still corruptible or going to be doing bad things or whatever is on the table. We just don't know. And I, I do like that idea that she's kind of, is bridging a different gap than what she did when she originally came in the comic book. So 
it's just kind of a, a cool kind of thing. Like, you know, maybe this is the exact opposite of the Nick Fury um, that we got from the Avengers, uh, the original MCU phase one. Maybe she is the new Nick Fury for this new Thunderbolt slash Dark Avengers. And that's where I'm kind of going with it right now is, you know, because before Nick Fury was recruiting people for, you know, whatever. Now she could be doing that on right. the other end. So as for more of a selfish gain than Nick Fury was, because because, again, she was a Nick Fury love interest slash uh, a character that, you know, went back and forth. So I wonder if this is going to be maybe something with Secret Invasion or maybe something with uh, some kind of maybe her and Nick Fury had a relationship. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just going back squarely on the comic books. That'd be cool. I'd be love to see, like, you know, Nick Fury have a little more of a past and have that come back to Han a little bit. I'd, I'd like to see that. But there's a lot going at play here. And I'm going to go with the angle that she's. this is going to be more like the... I don't want to say evil, but like the the other side of the, the, the Nick Fury equation recruiting the Avengers. It really could be. And I think that when you, th- you think Thunderbolts, obviously your mind goes to what the name was based on. Thunderbolt Ross is yep. where mm-hmm. it stems from. And so we think about William Hurt all the time. And maybe that's still it. But you could also see how another character might be might be used in in a similar role, but then just to make it different and unique to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you just can't deny that presence. I mean, she's only on screen for a couple of minutes and she just owns it right then and there, which you don't really expect anything less from Julia Mm -hmm. Louis-Dreyfus, but she was just so cool. I mean, so cool. Everything about that from just that line of, you can just call me Val, but don't call me Val. Just keep it in your head. Like, just think of me as Val, but don't say like, just so cool. And then, yeah, the line about Walker's wife, Olivia, you know, like that was his best decision is marrying this firecracker. How's it? And then just looks back at her. How's it going? Like, just amazing. Really well done scene. Yeah. And interesting, though, because, yeah, I didn't know that until Vanity Fair reported it that their sources are telling them that she's in Black Widow also. Like, I guess we were technically supposed to see her first there, although this scene totally plays as an introduction, like having her state her full name and all of that. So, Maybe they reshot this. I don't know. This might be one of the creative changes that was a result of things being delayed with the pandemic. Mm. I don't know. Okay. The, the end. Re- no idea. The end result, though, is uh, a really great uh, performance, yes. as as brief as it may be, and potentially a very exciting future for this very character, pivotal. whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next thing we get is Carly and the rest of the Flag Smashers. They arrive at a camp that has been raided. And so it's there. She's deciding it's time to act. The movement is ready. And then we cut to Zemo at the memorial in Sokovia, or at least the screen says that this is Sokovia. But Zemo also said that Sokovia had been cannibal, uh, cannibalized by its neighbors, that it had been erased from the map. So I don't know when they're saying Sokovia that are they confirming that Sokovia still exists, at least part of the country is still independent or are they just saying Sokovia because that's our reference point to make sure we know which memorial he's actually standing in front of? I don't know. I still feel like Sokovia, at least part of that country, was taken over and absorbed by Latveria, and we will eventually find that out, even if we don't find it out in this series. But anyway, Zemo is at the memorial, Bucky arrives, and Zemo is still making the case that Carly needs to be killed. And the more we see Carly doing with a lot of these choices, we can certainly see it's backing up a lot of the arguments that Zemo is making. Whether or not that justifies killing her could be a separate debate to be had. But 
we see where Zemo's coming from and we see her exhibiting some of the behaviors that he is saying are, are ultimately going to be a problem with her. But Bucky's not up for that plan. Bucky's there to deal with his own issues with Zemo. And that moment where Bucky puts the gun to Zemo's face is so good. I love that Zemo, he just shows no fear in it. Like there's mm-hmm. almost a slight smile, like his lips curl up just a little bit, but there's also a nod that he gives almost like, okay, like, yeah, th- this is this is it for you. You have to do this. Bucky pulls the trigger, but the gun's not loaded. He drops the bullets and just turns Zemo over to the door Milaje, who are taking him to the raft. You know who swings by the raft, as we saw in Captain America Civil War? Yep. Ross. Yep. So that's where I could actually see two different things happening here, Paul. Oh, okay. I could see uh, Contessa Valentina yep. doing her own thing for her ah, own purposes, ah, and okay. Ross still has his own Thunderbolts. Mm. We could have two different teams happening here it could be one but it could be divergent paths here i I really don't know um but good but my my main takeaway from this is that just the performances by sebastian stan and daniel brule were so good in this and then i really liked you know bucky sort of making amends with the dora milaje as uh you know io told him and it was it wasn't wakanda it was Bast damn you is what Io said last week. Bast being, of course, the panther god in Wakanda. So we knew that that obviously Io, the Dora Milaje, Wakanda, disappointed in Bucky. And a lot of them still are because Io tells him it would be prudent for Bucky to make himself scarce in Wakanda for a little while. Although she does call him by the name White Wolf again. So there's a little mm-hmm. bit of that respect uh, coming back. And there's enough respect and fondness for, for, uh, for Bucky to do him a favor that he asked for at the end, even though, of course, that favor is for someone else. It's for Sam, but a really good scene. And I like the way that these, that it kind of wraps up Zemo's story for now in this series while pointing him in a direction that certainly could lead to things we've seen in the comic books with Thunderbolts and all of that. But really just the, that one-on-one interaction initially between Zemo and Bucky was so good. Yeah, this was a really kind of a surprise scene. I didn't expect to get this. I, I don't know. It was just, it was way, it, it went off way. Well, first of all, the, again, I, I can't, I can't stand watching the before, you know, previously on, uh, shows now, especially for Disney plus. Cause they just tell you kind of what's going to happen. So I knew Baron Zemo was going to be in it and as a deal with Sokovia. So when this, when it happened and you see him, you know, staring at the, staring at the statue, I was, you know, okay, cool. And this is interesting. And I, when Bucky showed up with a gun, I'm like, what is going on here? And it was really great seeing that again when he pulls the trigger. And I loved how Zemo, like you said, was smiling, but also in a sense where like, hey, this is it. I'm good. Like yep. I, I did. I, I'm done. And this is a, a good way to go because I. It's almost like he's acknowledging that he was he did wrong with Bucky, and that it makes sense for Bucky to kill him after he let him out and mm-hmm. get, let him have a little bit of. I don't want to say fun, but kind of getting back at super soldiers or whatever superheroes. Given that it's like he's saying, thank you for giving me the one last shot at it. I'm ready to go now and join my family. I know it's a lot to kind of read into that one part. But that's what I read into it. Like it's, literally to me, it's point. not a lot. I think that's plainly what it is. But I also think just to add to even more that can be read into this, because why not? Yeah, sure. I think it's also Zemo saying, if you kill me, I, I can be satisfied with that for all the reasons you stated, Paul. But also I'm satisfied with that because. If you pull the trigger, I'm right. I literally just told you you're, I literally just told you that you are programmed to kill. 
And so here you are talking about Carly and you don't want to kill her and that's not the plan for you and Sam. Okay, great, but your solution for me is killing me. So how how are you really any different than me? If you just think if just because you're a little more choosy about whom you kill versus who you don't, that doesn't really make you that different. You're still a killer. And, and you know, so I think there's a part of that where Zemo is satisfied with go ahead, pull the trigger and I'll just be I'll just die being right. Right. No, exactly. And that that's kind of how, how I read into it as well. But how he's so which I'll get in that in a second too. He so willingly just goes with the door, uh, the door of Milaje. I thought it was interesting because yeah. I, I, I'm like, as I'm with you, I, I, I think he's head of the wrath, and that's you know when he said yeah. that, I was like, okay, that's. I love when that, they show up, ladies. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> I don't know. They, again, I, I just thought that was, that was very interesting, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of like, I don't think we've seen the last of Baron Zemo no, in the series, even like in the series. Oh, like, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think he's. I think there's going to be something with him in in, in the next uh, episode. Um, I know Daniel Brule had gone on record saying like, you know, there's more. He yeah. basically hints that there's more coming with him. And so when that when he just kind of left, I'm like, hmm, he's either going to escape or he's going to meet with the Raph with Ross. And I'd I think say that, mid or post credit scene next week is when we see him. Okay, yeah, and I'd be, I'd be, I'd be down with that. Which I, would be. With, Zemo's in the raft and he's approached by Ross or approached by Val. Don't call her Val. Val. Just think that. Yeah. Well, I like this. I like, I like calling her that. That's a, that's a long thing to say, but I like it. Uh, no, I, I'm with you. I, I love the scene. I love that he accepted his fate regardless, whether it be with Bucky or with, mm-hmm. with, with uh, the door of Milaje. It's just interesting. I love, I love what they're doing with Baron Zemo. He really is. It's a lot different than the comic books, but I love this iteration of him Mm -hmm. just being the more of the mind game kind of a person. He's a little bit like that in the comic books, but he's way more calculating in this, uh, in this version of the, uh, Marvel characters. And, and I, I really appreciate that to be honest, the different character. It, I also thought it was interesting is that, well, Hold on a second. Have we had the scene in the? I don't want to go back to trailers here, Sean. Have <laughs> we had the scene where he's walking away with his mask in his hand, where he's like almost from an explosion? Yes, like th- that was when he was atop one of the containers. I think we had uh, in the fight back in episode three. Because what it's like, he's like, but he's like he's standing and he puts the mask on, and then he's walking out like almost like a pier. That's what it looked like. At least wow, I'm thinking the right thing again. I yeah, haven't watched the, the trailers now. The one of the one visual that I can remember in my head right now of him walking with the mask in his hand, we did see, but there might be another one that I'm forgetting. I mean, just, but just speaking of trailers, that's part of the only reason I knew what was happening in this scene is you go back to the very first Super sure. Bowl spot for Falcon Winter Soldier. We saw this. We saw Zemo, but we saw Bucky approaching somebody and you could kind of tell that it was Zemo and doing the whole dropping the bullets thing. So there wasn't much suspense for me. I didn't think for a second that Bucky was about to shoot Zemo point blank in the face. But uh, regardless, it was a really good scene, uh, mm-hmm. really well done between those two characters. And yeah, I like that Zemo is perfectly comfortable and satisfied with his fate, whatever the hell it's going to be. I get to walk away. You kill me. I'm captured by the door of Milaje, take it to the raft. It's all the same to me. And I like that Zemo just has that He's so sure of himself and in his place in this and his mission that's like when whenever it comes to an end and however it comes to an end, okay, fine. But Zemo feels pretty good about himself and and the choices that he's made uh, in trying to 
honor what he believes is something he that's always been a mission of stopping super soldiers. And then, of course, a mission that became more specific and more focused after he lost his family during mm-hmm. Age of Ultron in Sokovia. So the next place we go is Baltimore, Maryland, and it's time for a conversation between Sam Wilson and Isaiah Bradley. And it's a conversation we didn't really get the first time because Bucky was there. And, and of course, it was just the initial revelation of the existence of this person that Sam had no idea had been around, let alone had been a black super soldier. And now we finally get the conversation. But first, as Sam's walking down the street, uh, first encounters Eli Bradley, and he's just out there shooting air balls. I mean, go back and look at it. He airs one behind Sam as Sam's walking up. Uh, Sam's got the shield, and it's in the leather case uh, that, of course, Steve uh, brought with him to hand Sam the shield the first time around. And Isaiah te- and I like how Sam's about to take it out, and Isaiah tells him to leave it covered and that those stars and stripes don't mean anything to Isaiah Bradley. And Sam says he needs to understand, and Isaiah doesn't mince words. You understand every black man does. And then when Sam talks about Isaiah being a bitter old man, Isaiah just says, if you ain't bitter, you're blind. And Isaiah just runs through it, and he runs through the history, talking about how he saw the Red Tails fight, and then they came home just to find crosses burned on their lawns. And Sam's talking about how Isaiah Bradley could have been the next, about to say Captain America, but Isaiah doesn't let him finish that sentence. And then they go inside, and Isaiah sits him down and and talks even more specifically. I mean, of course, you have the bigger issues at, at play here, but then specifically for Isaiah, what was taken from him Besides his freedom, he was also taken away from the love of his life. And effectively, she was taken from him as well because she was writing him letters while he was in prison and they were locking him up and he never got to see him until after he finally got out. And his wife just had to was led to believe that he was dead. And so he was just his entire existence was wiped off from the world. And then we hear the history that he goes through of getting the super soldier serum. He was among a handful who got them. They were told that they were getting tetanus shots uh, as they were getting these injections, which certainly calls back to you, as we saw in the the comic books on this truth, red, white and black. The the story with Isaiah Bradley that, you know, it was more World War Two era than Korean War, as they've talked about here for the MCU. But it was some it was a story that certainly played on the real life Tuskegee experiments. And so that's alluded to with, of course, uh, what Isaiah Bradley is sharing here with his backstory. And then to and also from that comic book that a lot of the people who started getting that serum started dying off. And then some of the those who survived had been captured. And as Bradley points out, the the brass, the bosses in the military, they were going to blow up a, a POW camp just to hide the evidence. So every soldier who was there, those who had the super soldier serum and those who didn't, if they were captured in that POW camp, they were all going to die just for the government and military to be able to cover up what they had done. So Bradley went in to bring his men back, and he did. He successfully liberated them, but they all died anyway. And he was put in prison, and we see the scars. He was tortured, experimented on, trying to figure out why it worked on him and, of course, why he was the only one who survived. And it was a nurse who helped him and had him declared dead, and that was how he got out. And so it's this horrific backstory of everything that Isaiah Bradley had endured and the absolute betrayal by his country, which is why you understand the stars and stripes don't mean anything to him. And when Sam's trying to talk about how times are different 
And maybe the world, if Sam being in his position, Sam with his history as an Avenger, that maybe he could actually help Isaiah Bradley. Bradley comes back with the idea that times really aren't that different. And when he says that, uh, you know, they were worried about his story getting out, so they erased him. And that's something we talked about when we first met Isaiah Bradley a couple weeks ago, that that's what they did to the that's what they did to Isaiah Bradley is rather than have this idea of there being a new Captain America and more specifically a black Captain America, they just completely erased his existence from history. And as Bradley mentioned, something they've been doing for 500 years and Bradley, once again, does not mince words when he says they will never let a black man be Captain America. And even if they did, no self-respecting black man would ever want to be. And based on everything that Isaiah Bradley just described as his own fictional history within the MCU, as well as the past and present that we experience outside of the MCU in the real world, it's very difficult to argue with the validity of his position, of his feelings, even if you don't agree with his final assessment that no self-respecting black man would ever want to be Captain America. You don't have to agree with every word he says in order to see the truth in the feelings he has. And you know that these are things, at least in part, on some level that Sam was already thinking. It doesn't mean he fully agrees with this to the point where Sam is not going to be Captain America because I expect him to be and we get more of Sam's reasoning later on in the episode of why he's ultimately going to do this. But Sam hesitating to be the new Captain America and ultimately not feeling it and and ultimately deciding, well, before this, you know, the first time he chose to give up the shield, this was a big part of the reason why. This was the biggest reason why. It wasn't about not feeling like he could live up to Steve's example or anything like that. Sam's a great person. That's evident in, I mean, it already was before this series, but it's even more evident now with everything we've seen from Sam in this series. It's not about the kind of person Sam Wilson is and and whether or not he can live up to that ideal of Steve Rogers uh, as far as being the best possible person all around and just the, the most decent person and all of that and compassionate, and all these wonderful things that made Steve Rogers who he was and made him a great Captain America, Sam's got a lot of those qualities. He's got all of those qualities. It's not really about that. There are other things that that come into it, other factors when you look at the stars and stripes and the symbolism of the shield, the flag, whatever it may be, and you realize that that symbol has failed to ultimately represent all of those ideals for every single person in this country or in the world. And so you know that that's not, you know, there's the shield presents, uh, it symbolizes a lot of hope, but it also covers up a lot of lies. It, it also covers up a lot of history that just isn't acknowledged or is just flat out erased as it was in the case of Isaiah Bradley. And these were all factors for Sam in his decision-making that idea of they will never let a black man be Captain America. And even the idea of a black man not wanting to be Captain America for reasons that Isaiah Bradley outlined, there is so much truth in that, and it's so powerful and so moving to have a character like this who just puts words to it. It's not new. The series has been trending in this direction. It's been going over these topics, and it's all been here, and now it's finally as we expected it would be. It's all fully articulated and laid out in this, and they do it so well. It's written. They do such a great job writing it, And of course, Carl Lumley with his performance as Isaiah Bradley and Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, 
their performances are just perfect in an incredible scene that lives up to the title of this episode, Truth. There's so much to talk about with, you know, with what Isaiah Bradley was talking about. And, you know, the again, the stories that he was telling Sam, they're they're heavy. But I will say that I think it's really powerful when, you know, when he tells Sam they'll never accept a black man being Captain America. And that I think because I look back at what happened when Captain America became or when the mm-hmm. comic book version became Captain America because it kind of kind of turned into that a little bit. And it was like, man, like it's not not it's kind of like not too far from the truth necessarily either. It's so, and again, I'm not saying it was like the, predominantly when, when Sam became Captain America in the comic books, but it just still was there, you know, in a minor sense. And it's still sad that even there in the minor sense, what I do like in this show particularly, and I will say is the fact that that affected Sam and in, in, in the way I read into it, and this is what I just want to make it very clear is what I read into it. I'm not sure if this was meant to be read into it. The way I read into it was like, it's like that gave Sam the inkling of like, that he's that I think he was right, but also that Sam can prove him wrong and there were, that there can be a black Captain America that can that can be accepted and bring people together. Mm-hmm. I, I got that inkling because that's what Sam is. I mean, that's what he's been doing this whole series. Right. And then he's a social worker. He's about bringing people together, finding the, the middle ground between everything and understanding. And when he said that and the way Sam reacted, it gave me that, in, you know, for me, the way I interpreted this, the scene was that Sam was like, you know, he understood and accepted what Isaiah did and and doesn't begrudge him what he thinks at all. And, but at the same time, he understands the importance now of what Sam and being as Sam and being Captain America and how important that is for, for, I think America in general. And that was that what I read into it when in his reaction and what happens afterwards and I, and I really love the fact that that's kind of, again, staying true to Sam's character. And I love that about it. I love the fact that he's like, no, that I can, you know, I can make this work. And then, and there's a lot of that, I think in the, in the comic books as well, even when Nick Spencer took over mm-hmm. and we talked, we, we read it on for uh, the Patreon scenes. And I love, I love those episodes when we read those comics. And, and the thing is, I think just on the sense of this episode, I like the fact that he kind of, you know, before he was like, it, it was more about, I don't want to step on Steve's shadow. And now he understands after Bradley says this, he understands now the importance of being Captain America. And you got to think too, is it like maybe, and maybe Steve didn't, I don't think he knew about Isaiah Bradley. Maybe he did and just was like, no, he didn't. Know. Bucky says that Steve didn't That's know. Right, he did. Bucky okay. was That's the right. one who knew and Bucky never told Steve because Isaiah Bradley had told Bucky pretty much what Isaiah told Sam that he doesn't want the world to know that he exists. He's not happy, but he's found some way of being content enough with just being left alone. And that if the world doesn't, if the world still thinks I'm dead and the world doesn't know who I am, then at least the people who wanted to capture, torture, imprison, experiment on me and all of those things that that stops when they think that I'm dead, which is Mm. not a position a human being should have to be in of, I need the world to believe I'm dead so that I'm not captured and tortured again. Sure. So I think that, you know, with Isaiah Bradley, you know, Bucky kept the secret and Sam for the most part has still kept the secret, although he'll probably still go back and talk to, I think he's going to go back and talk to Isaiah Bradley again after the decision to be Captain America. And 
Mm-hmm. Look, Sam, Sam isn't saying or thinking that Isaiah Bradley is wrong because when he talks about it with his sister later, he says, like, if I had been through what Isaiah went through, I yeah. would feel the same way. Mm-hmm. So Isaiah's feelings and his assessment of the situation is completely valid based on his experience and based on the experiences of so many others. So Sam isn't really challenging that. The question is, all of that's true, so now what do I do about it? And I think that's where, and I've been talking about this throughout our spoiler reviews of the show, like this was what it was going to come down to, is that it's true. The symbol hasn't represented everyone. It hasn't stood up for everyone and validated everyone's experience. That is the one of the unfortunate truths of the symbolism of the stars and stripes, whether you put it on a flag or you stick it on a shield. That's part of the truth. So the question is, where do you go from there? And I think for Sam, there's certainly enough of an argument, as Isaiah Bradley makes, to just say, you know what? Forget it. Don't use that symbol. Don't pick up the shield. Don't be Captain America. And that's a completely valid take on it. And that was... That must have been the feeling that Sam had that won out when he initially decided not to be Captain America. But I think the reason why he wrestled with the decision, even after he continued to wrestle, I mean, he had it, he was wrestling with this before he gave up the shield, and then even after he gave up the shield, and now that it's back in his possession, and the issue that he's, I think the question he's weighing on his mind is just, even though this symbol doesn't rep or hasn't represented everyone fairly and equally like it should, Maybe it could, and maybe I could make it do that. And I think that's what was ultimately proven to Sam by, I mean, another issue that I think really came to fruition with what John Walker did last week is the point that that symbol's not going away. Exactly. That symbol isn't going anywhere. The question is, what is it ultimately going to stand for? Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's not going to stand for the right things if John Walker's the one carrying it, or potentially somebody else is carrying it. But if Sam carries it, maybe it could finally represent the things, maybe it could finally represent everyone. And that is something that's worth trying. That's something that's still worth fighting for. And you could be cynical about it and say it will never work. But as Sam says later on in the episode, if all the, all the sacrifices that have been made, it's worth trying. It's worth trying to actually make this work and, and actually try to present a more hopeful future. And that's something that we see, of course, later on in the episode. And I'll get to it when we get to, you know, the shield montage and we see what that shield could mean to a lot of other people who maybe haven't necessarily factored into it, who maybe are not in the same position yet as Isaiah Bradley has been in. So, and, but I'll talk about that when we, when we get to it, when we particularly about, you know, the Sam's nephews certainly being in love with the shield, uh, as we'll see later on in the episode. But this has been, I think, the one of the essential questions of this is that uh, of this entire series is that you have a symbol that's failed to live up to what it's supposed to represent. What do you do about that? And I think Sam's choice is ultimately going to be to to take charge of that symbol and not worry about the fact that that Isaiah Bradley's correct and that they will never let a black man captain of uh, they will never let a black man be Captain America. Well, then you say, "Don't I don't need you to let me be Captain America. I'm just going to be Captain yes. America." Exactly. I don't. I'm not. I'm not waiting. I'm done waiting around for your permission. I'm not looking for mm-hmm. your endorsement. I've got the shield. I'm going to represent it, and I'm going to be the. I'm going to be the symbol that Captain America always should be for everyone. That's what I'm going to go do. 
And not because Sam's going to like inflate his own self-importance and say, I'm the symbol in the way that John Walker did and, and just mm-hmm. say that because I have this, it gives me authority. It's through his actions. It's through the good things that he's going to do right. that Sam Wilson is going to be Captain America and going to be the symbol that he's, that he's meant to be, that the, that the world is going to look up to. And people will finally have an opera. More people will finally have an opportunity to see themselves in. And it's just going to continue. Be, I mean, it's been a powerful story so far. And it's just going to continue being powerful as we go on. Yeah. And this scene, again, I just I absolutely loved it. And I am looking Same. forward to when they circle back with it, because I, I think you're going to see Sam did the part this time of just listening to what Isaiah Bradley had to say. And I think when they have another conversation about it, Isaiah will do a lot of the listening while Sam does some of the talking. And I, I think they will see, you know, I think we will see more of a shared perspective between those two. But it's not because Isaiah Bradley is wrong, because as Sam notes, his feelings exactly. are completely valid. So after the conversation with Isaiah, Sam heads back home and it's time to fix the boat because nobody really wants to buy it. And Sam's trying to figure out what everything means, but he, he doesn't really want to talk about the conversation that he had with Isaiah. Um, but when his sister Sarah is asking about, why he's so worried about the boat and the family and everything when he's not when he's normally off saving the world. And I love that Sam just says my family's well-being is part of the world. And we see what Sarah's doing, right? Sarah's making lunches for her kids, but also feeding other kids in the neighborhood who, you know, are not getting uh, are not getting the care that they need. And and so Sam, that reminds Sam of that was what their mom used to do. And and basically the Wilson family has been doing favors for the entire neighborhood pretty much the whole time. And so Sam calls in those favors and everybody comes in to help fix the boat, including Bucky, who just acts like he's a delivery guy there to drop off a case from Wakanda that uh, Sam signs for. But this is where we get into, for me, like 80s, 90s action movie montage because uh, yeah. there's it's always that thing of like the simple home project or whatever it is of like this thing needs fixing. So we're focusing on this, which really means it's an opportunity for us to talk. And I, I love that we get so many great moments there. I mean, the little Bucky and Sarah shipping is kind of fun. But then I like the bit about Bucky. Like, why didn't you use your, you know, why didn't you use the metal arm? Mm-hmm. I'm right handed. Uh, I thought it was <laughs> I <love> awesome. That. <laughs> that was great. Um, but yeah, there's just something so charmingly old school about when they just started doing kind of a little bit of the highlight real stuff of them fixing the boat. And then uh, Bucky telling Sam what Zemo said, how there's only one way to deal with. Uh, with Carly, which we know is not exactly the way that Sam wants to do it. And it's not how Bucky wants to handle it either. Uh, But we also see Sam still thinking about this. Like, I don't think he walked, he didn't walk out of that conversation with Isaiah Bradley saying, well, I, I'm definitely going to be Captain America. Like he still hasn't quite made that choice yet. When we get a, a really good shot of him just staring at that case knowing what's in it, but not wanting to open it, not wanting to see it because he's not ready to make that choice to go be Captain America. And so anyway, I'm all about those down home things. I know sometimes it borders on Ninja Turtles farm and Barton family farm that you're not uh, a fan of in Age of Ultron. But when you do it well, and I think this one did it well, um, it's very old school action storytelling that provides character development and bonding uh, between pals, uh, you know, emerging pals in this emerging friendship between Sam and Bucky. So I loved it. Well, and the difference between this and Age of Ultron is is ultimately that this was already set up previously in the series. Correct. So going back there makes a lot more sense than, you know, oh, by the way, I have a secret family. Yeah, and, yeah. And, 
a little bit different. So, but you're right. Like I understood why they went back into the Ninja Turtles scene, which again, in Ninja Turtles, it's amazing. Uh, Cause at least, anyway, we'll get into that. Um, but I, I did like this scene. I like this stuff mainly because of um, a, a couple different things. The main one being, I love having more Falcon and, and Bucky together. I love seeing them together and getting their chemistry and, and or seeing their chemistry on. It's perfect. It was great seeing Bucky show up and uh, helping out flirting with his sister. I like that a lot. That was really fun seeing Sam uncomfortable. I love seeing Sam uncomfortable like that. It's hilarious. And the other thing I liked a lot about it, I live in a, I live in Seattle, but I live in like a small little or a smaller little area of the neighborhood where it's, uh, it's growing uh, a lot, but there's a lot of like camaraderie in our, in our area. Mm. And I know it's really a big deal for my wife and I to support local businesses and things like that, especially during the pandemic. And just today, you know, before we went on, like I had my grilled cheese sandwich, you know, we're at it, you know, we were talking to the, to the owner and he was a super cool dude and just kind of, you know, it's just nice to, to support these local areas and just be part of a community. And that's kind of what I want to talk about here. And I love about this part is that Sam kind of acknowledges something here that I think that I wish and I hope more people take a part of is being involved in some kind of community and, and then and really calling upon the community when you need it and also supporting the community when you can and, and giving back and have it be that, that a very good cycle of recycling itself to where you it's there when you need it and you're there when people need you. And I think that I love that this was a call to that and it showed the importance of that and how that can, you know, that even someone like Sam, who's an Avenger, is mm -hmm. calling upon the community to have them come in and help him out when he needs it. Yeah, he's an Avenger. Yeah, he helped save the universe or this reality or whatever. But at the same time, he's just like all of us any one of us and he needs to call upon people he needs you know when he needs them he'll call upon them and they'll come because he you know his family and him they provided for their you know their community right and vice versa and i love the fact that it kind of plays off that it was great to have that the kind of sam lead that by example again the way i read into it and i really like that aspect of it no i thought it was great and i think what was also great about it is why people showed up they didn't show up because sam was an avenger they showed exactly. up because the wilson family they give back into the community it had exactly. nothing to do with avengers and even the way that i mean one guy when he answers the phone calls sam yeah. falcon hey falcon but yeah. everybody else he's like saying yeah uh you know paul and darlene's youngest boy like he's just introducing himself as the wilson as a member of the wilson family as part of that group not part of the superhero group and right. I thought that was really great to show that that whole idea of the community being there for each other, paying it forward and doing so without expectations. And I, and I think that's probably a, a familiar experience with a lot of families or situations where sometimes it's the people who are always taking care of the community who are the last ones to ask for any help yeah. uh, because they're always thinking about and checking in on everyone else that they don't really think about what they need. And uh, so for Sam to kind of call upon the community of, uh, you know, to finally be the ones asking for favors and for the community to show up for them, uh, I thought was really, really great. And then we get a conversation between John Walker and Lamar Hoskins' parents and his sister is there as well. And he lies to them when they ask if the person he killed is the one who killed their son. He says yes, and that he could never let that person get away. But he did. Carly got away. 
Um, unless maybe he's going to plan on getting her later. But so far, yeah. he has yeah. not uh, taken out the person who killed Lamar Hoskins, and he's lying to Hoskins' parents. And this is part of John Walker. I mean, you could say he's trying to provide comfort to the parents, but I think this is also extremely self-serving. And Lamar's sister doesn't totally buy it. There's a shot of her where she's given some of that side eye to John Walker, like, I'm not so sure about this. And it's just, it's a really interesting scene because it. this is where John Walker is such a complicated character because yes. there's a part of him that genuinely cares about Lamar and genuinely cares about Lamar's family and wants to provide comfort. But there's also that part of him that is so self-righteous and so self-important that he needs to convince them and while in the process of continuing to convince himself that he's been doing the right thing and provide comfort by lying to them. But that lie is not just for their benefit. You could you could make the case that, well, the reason he's saying that he brought their son's killer to justice is to provide them that comfort to know that there's closure on that. The person who killed your son has been taken out, has been brought to you know, justice was delivered to the person who killed your son. So at least you know that 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 part of it was that justice was served, even if, of course, that doesn't bring your son back and trying to provide that comfort. But that's not why he's doing it. The reason he's doing that, this is a lot of this is still about making ultimately boils down to John Walker wanting to make himself feel better and wanting to be seen as the guy who is delivering justice for his friend and all of that when that's not what it was about. That's not what he did last week. And he's not admitting that to anyone. And, he, and that includes himself. So that's the complexity of John Walker is there's a part of him that genuinely cares about things, but there's also this horribly corrupted part of him that just overrides a lot of that. And it recontextualizes everything and, and ultimately a negative light. And that shows that he's still way too selfish in order to really see what he's doing and to really account for his actions in a meaningful way, he's just not doing it. So it, it's interesting, Sean, because again, I, I keep going back to this, specifically in this episode, I'm interpreting things a certain way. Cause I think, I don't know, I, I, maybe this is again, me being a John Walker fan from the comic books and in the series, because I, you're right. He's a complicated character. And I like that about him. I, I love complicated characters because I am very much like in, in a view of a lot of things, nothing is black and white and some things are, but very few things are, it seems like. And again, in my opinion, in everything, it seems like. And what I do like about John Walker is that you can read into this many different ways. But I think it's kind of both what you said. I think it is, one, him being selfish, lying to his family. Yes, I definitely think that. I mean, that's what he's been doing this whole time to himself. If he's lying to himself. He's going to be lying to everybody else, let's be real. So that's, that is there. So he's definitely lying to them and in, in, in a selfishness. But I also think he's telling them in a sense to where he's going to, you know, he's also trying to comfort them too. Right. Cause we all know he really loved Lamar. It wasn't like he was like, just like, yeah, whatever Lamar is like, you know, he loved Lamar like a brother. So he was very close to him and probably the family. And maybe that's why the, you know, the sisters like was thought something was up. Cause that didn't really make sense the way he was acting or whatever. I don't know. And she obviously knows something's up. Like you said, that's obvious, but I kind of read into it both ways. Yes, he's lying to himself still, and it was, and I was bummed. I'm like, oh, John, stop. Because I, really, I almost thought for a second, maybe he'll tell him the truth. But no, he didn't. I was like, ah. 
And but at the same time, I don't think he's being malicious, especially with them. But that's something that he he's at least that's how I. No, I don't think he means it. I don't think he has malicious intent. I don't think that that's not it at all. Like he, Mm -hmm. the problem isn't that he wants to provide them comfort. That's a nice thing to do. I mean, it's the least he can do. I mean, they lost their son, or in the case of the sister, lost her brother. Of course, and yeah. Lamar Hoskins meant a lot to John, and there's no question, like, it's obvious in the scene. John Walker knows Lamar's family, has been around Lamar's family. They care about John. He cares about them. All of that is, that part of it is genuine, but it's how he goes about it. And, yes. I, and I think that's that's where it's let. I mean, these are people that he should love and care about. Yeah. And exactly, he should love them and care enough about them to be honest with Agreed. them. Agreed. And that he can't even be honest with them is just even more evidence of how he can't be honest with himself. And exactly that, among other things, is is one of the flaws for John Walker and something that it's just the big question mark of whether or not he's going to find a way to work through that as his story continues. The next thing we see is Sharon Carter in her one appearance in this episode brokering a deal with Batrock. Mm-hmm. So the subtitles confirm it's Batrock, but didn't really need the subtitles because she mentions yep. getting him out of an Algerian prison, which is a reference to Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So she is hiring him for a job, and we see what that job is uh, closer to the end of the episode. So, yeah, Sharon Carter, more evidence that she's power broker. I mean, yeah, I guess you could say Val, if we just think about that name in our head. Uh, you could say that that is the power broker, but I don't think so. I mean, I'd rather you I'd rather Sharon that. be the power broker and let Agreed. Julia Louis Dreyfus' character be a much bigger deal than the anonymous or seemingly anonymous power broker in the MCU. I th- I would have to say though, I mean, as as an episode that was my favorite of the series so far, and, and just a really strong episode, top to bottom. This scene was just kind of silly to me, not because of what it's doing, but. It's not even so much a problem of this one episode. I, I think it's bigger than that for the series is. Yeah. I just don't think they've done enough with Sharon Carter to justify yeah. bringing her back at this point. Mm-hmm. And even if slash when we get the reveal of her being the power broker next week, even if slash when that happens, I don't know that my reaction would be anything more than, oh, okay. Because normally, if you're going to have somebody who was initially introduced to us as a hero in the MCU, and then we find out that they're working against our heroes in the MCU, there you would think there should be some surprise, some disappointment of like, oh, that's that's your deal? That kind of sucks. Really liked you, and now I don't get to anymore. I don't even know that it's going to be that feeling, because I just don't think we're invested enough in Sharon Carter, and maybe that's just me, and maybe some of you listening are like, I love Sharon Carter, like... Sean, you're an idiot. Shut up. Fair. But I don't care enough about Sharon Carter based on Captain America, the Winter Soldier or Captain America, Civil War. And then Mm. what they've given me in these episodes for that reveal to really mean that much. Like, it's cool that it explains certain things. Okay, but I ultimately feel like you could have had any other number of reasons for the flag smash because the power broker more than anything is like, what the flag smashers are running from, but they already have the global repatriation council to be running from. I don't really need 
the power broker being it's not it's just not the position of that character, even as Sharon Carter, is not that integral to the plot. And neither is Sharon. The fact that the last two weeks she just she doesn't show up until episode three. And then when she's in there and present in episode four and five, it, she's just got phone call conversations. I mean, easy work days for Emily Van Camp, I guess. I don't know. Although not easy. Acting still difficult. But it's still I just I, I don't know. Like I. I feel like you could remove her from the series and it's pretty much exactly the same. I think you're right, but I think there's a, again, I, I'm going to give this, this series some credit at least, or the benefit of the doubt at this point, because I think there's going to be a reveal next week besides the power broker. I think she's either again, I think the power broker is another uh, extension of something else. I don't think it's just Sharon operating on, on her own. I think but then she it's still is, not Sharon being the interesting part of it. Well, and I would agree to that. Yes. But I think it's also because I think they've got, again, CMCU, they've got bigger plans. I kind of feel that she's going to be, again, I, I just kind of was thinking about this just now because I, I didn't think that she's just operating on her own. And I, and I totally get, and I think it's valid what you're saying. Like it doesn't really, it kind of doesn't really justify her to be in the show and you're right. But if they're going to use her later on in different series, then it's, it, then it is important that we, we get this reestablishment of the character and it makes sense with people she's familiar with and, and has a relationship with and easier to introduce her in that way. I think this is the, a good way to do it. So mm-hmm. If you look at it like that, for me anyway, I, I can get behind that. It's whatever. I mean, we all agree that episode she came in was not her strong. It was wasn't a great. That was not a great introduction with that character. Now that being said, with the introduction of Val only sitting in your head, I and with the potential Thunderbolt Ross and all this other stuff, I think there's. I think she's going to be like a Coulson to these people. One of them. And I kind of feel like that's what she's doing. She's kind of like whatever the, whatever she's doing, she's a byproduct of, of working for something greater because now with Captain America gone and with the Avengers essentially disbanded, there's going to, there's there's now a a a gap of, you know, again, what did Nick Fury say? We need something to defend, you know, we need something to defend the the, the earth needed something to defend itself with, you know, before in because of Thor and all that stuff. And the thing is, now they don't really have that. They know they, they, they lost Cap. They know Iron Man's dead. But there's um, a better choice to be that person. If you're going to no, have I, that sort of right. person in the MCU, that should be Justin Hammer. No, no, no. But listen, so, like, here's, right. I just don't think, that, you know, and I don't really think that's what they're doing with Sharon Carter. Like, I think it's like, oh, she's the power broker. And I think that's the whole point of her becoming the power broker is to not work for people anymore is to be her own boss and not have to follow orders and worry about what anybody else is going to think. I got my thing going in Madripoor and I've got the benefit of some anonymity. Not everybody knows who I am, although maybe that changes soon. But I think that's kind of her deal. I don't really see her being, I don't really see her being like the the Thunderbolts, Dark Avengers version of Coulson. I, I don't think that's what they're really setting up but for she her. she doesn't really set up but that's for me too and again mcu different thing but even the character in the mcu doesn't really match what she's doing now that just, so, unless she's a scroll or something i mean you gave me the reasons why she's doing it but it doesn't really make sense to me with her character knowing the character just, those things don't add up to me that's what i mean like it does not add up to why she's doing it, it doesn't seem within her character that that's just my opinion so i that's how i take it if she became the power broker after everything that happened to her in the wake of Winter Soldier, in the wake of Captain America Civil War, 
I understand that. Uh, and it's been a long time. I mean, that's the other part of it is we have these characters who go through that's significant true. changes oh. because we haven't been witness to their story the whole time, which is also why you generally don't do those things because it helps if the audience was actually along for the journey as opposed to sure. just being told here's the destination and here's a quick, quick summary of how we got here. But that's part of it. That's part of my criticism of it is they didn't so far anyway, and we'll see what happens next week. But I feel like so much going on next week. I can't see a large section of the episode being given to Sharon Carter to, to really justify or fully flesh out exactly what it is they're trying to do with that character in these episodes. And so I'm not saying like, it's not a huge deal to me. It doesn't ruin right. the series. Like this is my well, same. this is my one flaw within. I mean, there's other smaller things here and there in, in particular moments, but from an overall story structure and character development, everything in this series, this is my one main flaw, and it's not even that big of a deal because the series is succeeding in places that are much bigger, much more important, and so I I can't really hold this against the series that much. So. Sure. It's something that I wish was done better or just excluded and saved for another day. But we'll see how they tie it together with Sharon Carter next week. But so far, it's been a little underwhelming. And I mean, hopefully they'll make it even more interesting by the time uh, we get through it next week. But it's not really something I'm counting on or even looking forward to as much next week because there's other things that are about to happen next week that are just way more exciting to me. So... We cut to back home and Bucky wakes up. He's staying at the Wilson family home and he wakes up and he sees Sam's nephews playing with the shield. So when we're talking about the symbolism, let's look at what it means to them. Uh, and there's another moment that we see a little bit later on where I'll, I'll talk more about that point. But then Bucky and Sam have a good talk. And Sam says, as we've heard him say in the trailers, the legacy of that shield is complicated to say the least. And then Bucky says... When Steve told me what he was planning, I don't think either of us really understood what it felt like for a black man to be handed the shield. How could we? And then he says he owes Sam an apology and he apologizes. And I really liked this exchange. Well, quick aside, because it's not it, it's not the most important thing. So let me just get it out of the way. Steve told Bucky before the end of Avengers Endgame, which... I think was sort of implied with the whole, I'm going to miss you, Buck, and and all of those things. Mm -hmm. So there was, there seemed to be some understanding of what was going to happen. And the writers, Marcus and McFeely, they talked about it in the commentary track and basically confirmed that, yes, there was something you didn't see. They didn't write it and cut it out, but there was something that you just didn't see as an audience that Bucky and, and Steve had a conversation before Steve went back in time and returned all the Infinity Stones Bucky confirms that here, but more important than that is the apology and also the the explanation from Bucky in that in saying that they, neither one of them really understood what it felt like for a black man to be handed the shield. And, and then he also says, how could we? And the point for me isn't so much. I mean, part of the point is it's what they didn't know, right? They they had no idea exactly what they were asking of Sam or, or putting on him by mm. handing him the shield. But the bigger point is it's what they didn't know that they didn't know because there are just things that you can't know, particularly as white men like Steve and Bucky are. There are things you can't know and can't understand if you haven't been through it, which means you need to listen. And Steve obviously didn't mean anything negative or harmful towards Sam. 
Steve just thought that Sam was a, a, a good, decent person. You're a good man, Sam, is what he told him. And so just felt like that was something that Sam was capable of doing, that the world needed Captain America and Sam Wilson was the best person to do it. So Steve meant nothing, but he didn't mean anything negative at all. It was, it was entirely positive as far as Steve's intention towards Sam. But the bigger idea, though, is that Steve and, and Bucky, as they were talking about this, it didn't occur to them that maybe we should talk to Sam about this first and see what this means. Because, But the reason it didn't occur to them is they didn't know what, where their blind spots were. They didn't know what they didn't know, as I was saying. And that's where they needed to take the opportunity to ask the question and have it be more of a conversation as opposed to, here's the shield, such an honor, you're the brand new Captain America. I mean, Sam was legitimately honored to be handed the shield. He did say that. Like, you could see that he was, you know, you could see that it meant a lot to him, but also it was something that, of course, was very complicated for Sam. But I, I think there's a lot of value in presenting that in the story and that, with the way Bucky responds to it, I mean, the most important thing is, of course, Sam and, and Isaiah getting to speak their truths. But also, I think what's important for Bucky in the way he responds to it is rather than get defensive about it, rather than act as if he's being, you know, he's being called out for something that he doesn't agree with or, or whatever it is, that he just apologizes. He acknowledges that there was something he didn't know, that there was a blind spot, that something he just, it, it didn't occur to him because how could it have and that ra rather than, again, being all defensive about it, that he just acknowledges what his blind spots were and he just apologizes for it. And I think there's something so simple yet so vital in the way that they approach that conversation and just a, a great exchange between these two characters about this issue where, you know, Bucky was so wrapped up in what the shield meant to him that he couldn't see all the things that it meant and, and didn't mean to Sam Wilson. And so for Bucky to acknowledge that and also to acknowledge it for Steve as well, that as great of a person as Steve was or still is, as empathetic and compassionate as he is, that even Steve is capable of having blind spots and just questions that didn't occur to either one of them, Bucky or Steve, as they were having the conversation about giving Sam the shield and if Steve were to ever have an opportunity to speak with Sam again, and hopefully he does at some point, I think you would find Steve also feeling like he owes Sam an apology. And it's not so much a judgment of them or a permanent stain on them as characters, but just a rather simple acknowledgement, a simple truth in that we have flaws and we have blind spots. And when they are pointed out to us, it's worth apologizing. It's worth acknowledging that, taking responsibility for it, and then growing. This was a, such a great little scene. I, I, love, I just love the fact that we're, we're acknowledging the fact that these people, have, have, they, didn't, they didn't consider it. And I love the fact that Sam is, is you know, that weighed on him, definitely. That was a part of his, his decision, maybe not necessarily to just go and be Captain America right away. And I love the fact that, like, you know, Bucky, because Bucky is so hard on him. I love the fact that, you know, he's saying, you know what, I was wrong. Like, I realized mm -hmm. that I was, a, you know, and I think that, again, represents a lot of us to kind of like, again, we don't know what we don't know. And it's it's OK to, like, you know, be corrected and accept like, oh, I, I, I was out of line on that. I was not whether we about this, these kinds of, kinds of uh, situations or, or anything. Right. But and that's the whole thing I love about this, that Sam or excuse me, Bucky takes the road of. Yeah, I, I, I admit that I was, you know, 
overzealous and what what I didn't realize the the burden that we were throwing on you necessarily. It's just again we just kind of take it for granted that it's, it's this kind of quote unquote honor to be Captain America, and we don't really understand what it meant for you and everything else with it. And I think I just love the fact that they're acknowledging that because again that that's a such an important piece. And I think I think just. I love the fact that they are leading by example and showing true growth as people and, and what, how important that is to like, when someone does recognize in themselves, like I made mm-hmm. a mistake, like accepting that and moving on and right. growing from that as, as, as friends or, or as people, if you're, if you're not friends, but you're just two people that, you know, learning from this experience. I mean, or many people learning from experience at once. Uh, at least for me, I loved seeing these heroes kind of lead by example and all also acknowledging their faults. And I think that's right. such a pivotal thing. It is. And I think it's how they went about it. And when you have a character like Bucky, who just acknowledges what he couldn't know, and, and rather than being defensive about it, just points to the simple truth. How could they have known? But I think what you what it encourages people to do with the heroes leading by example is take the other step, like understand that you don't know everything, understand that other people's perspective is going to be different and understanding that what you should be doing is really being aiming more toward listening and and asking questions as opposed to just asserting your truths as, as the ones that that are universal throughout the world and and, and true to the human experience. Uh, so understanding uh, somebody else's perspective and and I and I think in acknowledging when you didn't when you failed to do that, you apologize for it, you hold yourself accountable for it and then you move on and you grow and I think that's what you see from Bucky in this scene. But I think you also just see something really special from Sam Wilson. I mean, we know we didn't see all of that conversation because you know that Sam would have told Bucky about the conversation that he had with Isaiah Bradley and getting a chance to go through all of his feelings. And and I think that that's where another area where we talk about Bucky kind of failing, although, I mean, we talk about a flaw for Bucky is if we go back to when they first met each other in this series again, not first time ever, but when they reunite in this series, Bucky didn't lead with, why didn't you keep the shield? Why didn't you choose to become the new Captain America? He just led with a judgment. You shouldn't have given up the shield. And I think, you know, now that Bucky had an opportunity to stop focusing so much on his own feelings and think about what Sam actually felt, then he sees that he was out of line and he indeed owed Sam an apology and and he did that and Sam accepted it. But there's Sam turning it right back around and being there for Bucky, because Bucky admits to it. Bucky admits that the reason he was so sensitive about the shield is he was focused entirely on what the shield represented to him, and talking about how that shield is kind of the closest thing to family that Bucky had left, because that shield is effectively Steve in Bucky's eyes, and and Steve's gone. They keep saying gone, not dead, and I'm sure there's a reason for that. So I think having Bucky go through it. And that it calls back to the scene that we saw back in the second episode with the staring contest and all of that stuff of Sam or or Bucky talking about worrying very much about Steve's judgment and his assessment of characters. So Steve can't be wrong about Sam because then he would be wrong about me. And Steve was the only person who really thought I there was anything good left in me. Everybody else would rather just cast me out as the winter soldier 
as an assassin. Steve saw more in me, so I need Steve to be a perfect judge of character. Otherwise, my entire sense of self-worth completely falls apart. And Sam actually calls him out because Bucky brings that up here. Sam calls him out on that point and tells Bucky exactly what he needs to hear. You got to stop looking to other people to tell you who you are. And I love how Sam sets up the rest of the conversation. Like, you ready for some tough love? And then explains to Bucky what he was actually doing when he was making amends and working through his list, that Bucky wasn't amending. He was avenging, thinking that it would bring him closure. And Sam gets into the why behind things and, and the motives of a per- that a person has there are, of course, the 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 actions which are essential, but the motive is also part of defining what exactly a person is doing and and how valuable it is and who it's actually for. And Sam points it out that Bucky was trying to go around and tell people he was sorry, but that was about making Bucky feel better. That was Bucky trying to appease his own guilt. And Sam says, "What you've got to do is you've got to, the people you're apologizing to. You need to make them feel better." You need to be of service. I, I love that line so much. Of just it, You need to be about service for other people's sake as opposed to just making you feel better about yourself. And Sam points out how there's got to be at least one person who needs closure and that Bucky can provide. And Bucky says there's a dozen. I mean, we know there's at least one. We know about Yuri Nakajima from back in the first episode, and we're probably going to see Bucky provide that closure for uh, Yuri next week. But... I loved what Sam was saying there, and and I love that it got through to Bucky. Bucky was now in a position where he was ready to listen and stop focusing so much on his own perspective, his own feelings, and just hear somebody else's assessment. And Sam told Bucky exactly what Bucky needed to hear, that you need to think about what you're doing. Yes, it's nice to apologize. Yes, it's nice to remove people from power who you aided when you were the Winter Soldier, but it still comes down to what's it all for? And if the entire motivation is you making yourself feel better, then it's still a selfish act. As valuable as it might be, if you're doing it for yourself, as opposed to then it's you're not it's not ultimately going to make you feel better. What Bucky is trying to do, if you want to convince yourself that you're not the winter soldier anymore, you want to convince yourself that you are a more positive person who's making an impact on the world, then it's got to be about the impact you're making on others and not about the impact that you're making on yourself. And I, I love that that was the lesson that Sam was given to Bucky. And Bucky heard it, and he totally agreed with it, which is why he ended it with saying, good talk. This show, again, so many different themes going on. And the other one, especially in this episode, we, we get is how you can't run from the truth. And I love how all three of the main characters are are have been running from the truth and are all going about it, have all went about it a different way. And it's all kind of coming home to roost, if you will. And I love how we have John Walker is running from the truth of what really happened and how that's corrupting him and how it's like it's mm-hmm. eating at him and, and, and whatever. And you have Bucky coming to terms with the truth. And when he was kind of running away from it and try to handle his own way, and then now you know, or trying to like, you know, put it under the rug or whatever he had it, it thrown it, you know, he's now starting to kind of deal with it his own way. And ha- I love how it's all kind of coming. Everyone's kind of dealt with the truth a little bit differently and trying to avoid the truth essentially. And then coming to terms with it 
and or not come in terms with it like John Walker. And I love how Bucky comes to terms with, with it by someone from like Sam who's known to help people. Again, Sam's superpower is helping people, like by making them understand, you know, the reality of their situation and how they can get better from it. That's what he that's what his literal superpower is, you know, and I love it. I love the fact that he helps his own friend, Bucky, uh, you know, come to terms with something that maybe he didn't even think he ever could. Right. And then he got through. Again, going to the idea of how you could apply this in real life, that's, you know, if you're open to listen, you might even, you know, get to, you know, understand something to that you never thought you would. If you're just open to hear from the people that you respect and care about and you come with an open mind. And I, I love that it took it took a long time for Bucky to respect Sam in that way. But when he finally did and was able to like sit down and listen to Sam, it got through. And I think that's so important. So I, I love it for that uh, that sense of uh, what Sam, at least for Sam, his uh, superpower, if you will. Absolutely. And I love how we get one of the most emotionally intimate scenes we've seen between a couple of characters in the MCU. And they still end it by not really acknowledging the nature of their relationship (laughs) that they don't want to call themselves friends. They just keep reducing it to, uh, they go from talking about coworkers to they're just a couple guys with a mutual friend. Well, the mutual friend's gone. So I guess we're just a couple guys. All right, fine. That's what we are. (laughs) That these guys, after all that they've been through and this conversation that this very meaningful conversation that they both just had with one another, that they're not going to call themselves friends. But at that point, you know that they know it. You know that these guys are are bonded in a way that they hadn't been previously. But I mean, it was always going in this direction. These guys did care about each other, even if they didn't want to acknowledge it. But now they've laid it all out. But that doesn't mean that they're going to completely do away with the pretense that they're frenemies, uh, because they're still going to give each other crap every chance that they get. So that's still going to happen. But in the end, it's clear, though. I mean, even Bucky's saying, like, you know, when you need me, call me like there's they're still going to be there for each other. And these guys are quickly becoming just as good of friends with each other as either one of them ever was with Steve Rogers. So uh, the next thing we get is Sam and Sarah deciding that they're not going to sell the boat just as Sam was about to paint over their parents names. And they decide they can't lose this fight. And Sam refers to their struggles as a people as, uh, you know, not obviously within their family, but the black community within this country, within the world, and Sam talking about wanting to change the world. And Sarah asks if he's going to let Isaiah Bradley decide. And as mentioned before, Sam validates Isaiah Bradley's feelings. You know, he doesn't necessarily feel the same way, doesn't arrive at the same final conclusion, but he understands and and felt a lot of what Isaiah has and and validates Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah's assessment of the situation based on his own experience. But then Sam says, you know, what would be the point of all the pain and sacrifice if I wasn't willing to stand up and keep fighting? And he is going to stand up and he is going to keep fighting and he's going to get ready to do that with a shield montage. This training montage was so cool, so much fun. As I said before, same thing with the going back home and fixing the boat. Very 80s, 90s action movie. I mean, this could be if it's in the mountains, it's Rocky Four. I mean, you just have this whole thing of getting ready and training to be Captain America. And I like that they show that just like throwing the shield and catching it. It's not that easy, especially when you're not a super soldier, because that shield comes at you fast. 
And being a super soldier isn't just about being stronger. I mean, it makes you faster and your reflexes are faster. Well, Sam is still, he's in tremendous shape, but he's still a mortal man with nothing extra as far as a super soldier serum is concerned. So he has to train for it. And I like that they show that. And we, of course, see the progress as Sam is, uh, as Sam is getting ready. And, but the moment that I think was the best part is, you know, he has his nephews, Cass and AJ, AJ being the younger one when Sam's uh, holding the shield and, and AJ traces the star on the shield. I just thought that was beautiful. And, and I think that was where Sam's decision was solidified. I mean, I think he was already feeling it, but we'd see him later at the end of the episode, of course, opening up the case. But that's where I, I think Sam looks at it. And like as I was saying before, the symbol not going anywhere. So what has it meant? What could it mean? And, you know, what it could mean is what Sam is going to be striving toward. And there's something about that with his nephews, Cass and AJ, playing with the shield earlier, AJ tracing the star. There's a real beauty to the way the kids see the shield, because in their eyes, it still represents all of the things that it's supposed to. It's a promise to them, a promise that was broken to Isaiah Bradley, and it was broken for Sam Wilson and broken for so many others. But for these kids, AJ and Cass and so many others in their innocence, it still has the potential to live up to every single thing that is promised, which is why they still have so much hope when they look at it. These are kids who deserve to be able to see themselves being represented by that shield as much as anyone. And that hasn't always been true. And of course, it, and, but it needs to be. And Sam is the one who can actually help make that part of it. And those kids deserve to see themselves not just being represented by the shield, but see themselves in Captain America. And there's such a beautiful potential that exists there that is worth standing up again and is worth fighting for. And that's what Sam's going to do as a brand new Captain America. And that's going to be true for Cass and AJ inside this story. And it's going to be true for so many kids watching this story from home. Um, and it's just extraordinary. And I absolutely love it. That moment with AJ tracing the star was really moving. Yeah, I felt like this was one of the more uh, upstanding uh, montages we've ever gotten. I mean, from so many different levels. And you're right. Like this, there was there's a lot of good um, imagery in this montage that's going to be very important, you know, for, you know, people going forward. And I, I, I loved what what it meant for so many different reasons. Um I'm going to, I don't want me to diverge a serious thing to a, a more fun thing for me. Cause I have, I have to say this, Sean, and you probably know it's coming. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> thought about it while I was watching the episode. I, know. I, I was okay. So as I'm like, I have, when I watch these things, I usually have like, I like to eat when I watch my shows or whatever. And so I've had my pizza and whatever. And, I'm, and at this point I've just getting to the last piece and I'm just stuffing my face full of delicious pizza. And when, even as like Bucky and and Sam are throwing the shield, <laughs> just like it's nothing, and they and then all of a sudden the montage comes in. I'm like, they have literally thrown the shield more in this episode than they have in the entire Captain America trilogy combined. <laughs> and it was such a, for those who don't know, back in the day when we were Modern Myth Media, I criticized uh, and I say lightly criticized because it was just a more of a bummer for me. I wanted. I wanted a lot of shield throws and I felt yep. there wasn't enough in first Avenger. Yeah. There's this always been a shield throw quota. 
there there has to be and at least something yeah. like it has to be more than just like four or five right and there was more than four or five i think in first avenger but not too many more and they definitely get more a little bit as the movies go but that being said um this episode just was like it was that it was like that uh what I wanted on steroids. It was just maximum field throws and it was so great. And I loved it. I thought it was great. And in a set, because one thing I was curious about was how are they going to handle the fact that Falcon is not a super soldier and how is he going to handle the shield? And because again, Captain America was a super soldier and in the comic books, they kind of lightly, you know, got around that with, mm-hmm. um, I remember the first time they kind of, for me, when I kind of saw, you know, a normal person being uh, throwing the shield around on a regular basis was Hawkeye. If you look, go back to the, uh, the uh, Captain America funeral or um, uh, Fallen Sun uh, miniseries written by Jeff Loeb, and it's drawn by many different artists. There's a Hawkeye uh, issue where Hawkeye is is first given the the costume of being the next Captain America after Steve died in uh, post-Civil War. And I remember... Um, he was throwing the shield around really well because of his, you know, eyesight accuracy or whatever, because and everything. And he was able to, you know, not have to be a super soldier to, to kind of wield it because of his ability to anticipate uh, how far things go and all that jazz. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool way of kind of explaining it. And I remember when, St- when Falcon got the shield, they kind of danced around that a little bit and he's kind of trained on it or whatever. It was really cool to see Sam struggle with that. And it kind of like, and again, I love the symbolism of, of the idea of Sam was not naturally just like, I'm, I'm amazing at this. And like, if you look at, you know, John Walker, he was, it was, he was very natural. And they get, they get, they kind of explain that in the second episode when they, when he gets uh, introduced that he's a very natural athlete. Not saying Sam wasn't, but it's just, he was very natural and he was very good at it. And then you see Sam just had to work at it, but as he keeps working. And I love the idea that this Captain America has to earn being able to use that shield. It's not something like, I'm naturally just really great at it. No, no, no. He has to work at it. And I love that. I love the fact that this, you know, Sam has to get to it. And it's something that he keeps working. And even though he fails, he keeps going and going. For me, what I got out of this episode was like, man, like this is exactly what kids need to see is someone like Sam Wilson working hard and becoming Captain America before our very eyes and not just putting on a costume, but, but by working, by his actions, not just by, you know, his words like John Walker. And again, I like John Walker, but he is, he's all, he's all talk. He's not really the real Captain America. You're seeing Captain America, you know, work right before our very eyes because he's working towards a goal. And I love that. I love that what this whole, this whole montage, I say, I say jokingly, you know, we kind of laugh about it, but it is a really good montage. It really, it shows that what a good montage can do. And I love what this does for the superhero and also what the message it sends to, I think, young people in general. Yeah, it was a really great, uh, really great sequence. And just so wonderful to see the way it ends with AJ tracing that star and you know, everything that everything that it can mean and everything that it's about to mean, because we know that we're about to see Sam Wilson become Captain America. And where is he going to have to go? He's going to have to go to New York because that's where the Flag Smashers are now. And they're ready to make their move on the GRC. Carly has recruited Batrock likely unaware that working for Sharon Carter, that Batrock is already working for Sharon Carter slash probably power broker. And she alerts her crew. And actually we see uh, the character Dovich questioning that with Carly. 
of we're working with criminals now. And, and Carly justifies that by saying, well, that's how the world sees us. So there we see how Carly's slipping here in that mm-hmm. she's so desperate to achieve her goal as right as some of her goals are and as valid as some of her goals are that she no longer questions how she goes about it and who she's working with in that process obviously points to where things are becoming increasingly problematic with her. And of course, Sam Wilson, I'm sure is going to try to get through to her one more time, but we'll see ultimately whether or not that is uh, successful. We'll see whether or not Sam is right or whether or not Zemo is right about Carly Morgenthau in the next episode. But we see the Flag Smashers put out the phone alert and we see people standing up and they're ready. You know, the the army is ready. The movement is ready, as Carly mentioned earlier in the episode. And they're going to stop the GRC from voting on the Patch Act, which is going to accelerate the process of resettling people, of moving people out of the countries they went to after the blip and sending them wherever nobody really seems to care. Well, some people do because we do see a GR, we see a debate happening with where this vote is supposedly going to take place. We see our senator who handed the shield to John Walker and now wants it back and whatever. We see that guy and, and he's debating in favor of the Patch Act. We see that not it's not a consensus. Not everybody is in favor of the Patch Act. So we see it being debated. And then the flag smashers start take they begin their takeover. Meanwhile, Torres has told Sam where to go, just noticing that the different cell phone pings and everything else right before uh, a Flag Smashers event, they see that happening in New York. And so now it's time to uh, for Sam to go there. And we see Sam looking at that case from Wakanda. He opens it up. We know we don't see that, but we know what he's looking at. We don't know exactly mm-hmm. what it looks like, and it's going to be very exciting to see that next week. But we know it. We know that that is a Captain America suit complete with vibranium wings that are going to be so much harder to break than the ones that were broken at the beginning of this episode in the fight with John Walker. Those ones will be fixed, though. Torres will have them, whether that's next week or at some other point in the MCU. But I love this part of it. I love that Sam is getting his Captain America suit. I don't think it's just the wings. I think it's the full suit, because where is he going to get everything else so quickly? I love that he's Mm. getting that from Wakanda. I love that so much because I think it represents a lot of really big ideas. I think it because Wakanda in many ways got to be what America didn't get to be, especially for for black people and for people of color. Like you see that there is, you know, what Wakanda was, was this African nation that was able to excel and become this utopian society because they were not because they were able to protect themselves from the outside world. They were able to protect themselves from colonization. They were able to protect themselves from slavery. And so they were never they didn't ha- they were able to keep themselves from being oppressed for centuries. And there were other uh, of course in other countries all over the world, but particularly in the United States, that's not what happened. In other areas of Africa where people were taken, that obviously did not happen. So for Wakanda now to kind of be the one, to be the nation that gives Sam the technology he needs to finally represent what America always claimed to but never really did, and for Sam to really be able to bring that about and to be aided by Wakanda in that way to become the first black Captain America and a black Captain America that I think many, many, many people will accept, and for those who don't, too bad. 
I think I absolutely love that. I think there's something beautiful about Wakanda being the ones. And and I mean, in a meta way, this isn't the intention of the story because they made this decision, I'm sure, before they knew that Chadwick Boseman passed. But even that legacy of, of everything that Chadwick did as Black Panther, and we know that they're not going to recast that role, it almost feels like a little bit of a passing of the torch, which is not to say that Sam is going to replace T'Challa because no one can. And certainly no one can replace Chadwick Boseman. That's not what it. That's not what it's about. But it is that symbolism, I think, of Wakanda being able to play this role. But I think it also changes what Captain America is, in the sense that Captain America is not just about America specifically as a country. Because here's Wakanda creating the new suit. Here's Wakanda creating the new costume. And so through that, Captain America becomes a global thing because the suit, the armor, everything that whatever Sam is going to wear with the wings and everything else. It's not a product of the United States. It's not a product of American ingenuity. It came from Wakanda. It came from another place. And so it is almost this global endorsement of Captain America representing not just the country that he's named after, but representing the entire world and being someone who and standing up for the ideals that America has often claimed to, but often not lived up to. And that idea of being a world, truly being a world leader in all the positive ways that you would like to be that you would like to be a world leader and mean it when you say that you're going to be a world leader sam gets to be the symbol that leads us toward that future as the new captain america and so for wakanda to have a connection to that i think is just absolutely wonderful it's such a great touch in the story i really love it and then also because it's from wakanda you know it's going to have the best tech you know there's going to be vibranium all over that thing it's probably going to have some tech that might help with the shield throws uh, for Sam not being a super soldier, although practice makes perfect and he's done a lot of practice. But there's probably going to be some tech, too, that really helps with Sam with everything that he's doing uh, as a Captain America with wings who's about to soar next week. Yeah, this was a really cool thing. I love the fact that it's what kind of creating the suit, the Captain America suit again fits everything it makes sense they they originally created the shield so it, it makes sense the fact that they would also create this new costume for sam and you know everything what you said i, I love you're on the money with and i love the fact it's gonna be revealed next week we all kind of knew it was probably going to happen i love this is going to be the dawn of the new captain america and i really hope that we get obviously more captain america films not just tv series but mm -hmm. film uh going forward with sam wilson as captain america i love the fact that we're going to get a new vibranium wings and probably and all that stuff it's gonna be rad um yeah i mean I, vibranium wings but there's gonna be vibranium all over that suit i mean that's exactly it's, it's armored up it's armored up i wonder if it's going to make him a little bit super strong potentially as well kind of like you know i mean again cool stuff there i think there's going to be some really cool surprises with it and i love you know you know me sean not i love me some throwing shields but i love me some costumes too so oh, yeah. i i am i am ready for a new katamir costume again i love the show i love the u.s agent's costume i think john walker's costume is like one of the, a perfect iteration from page to screen and and yeah i'm i'm excited to see this thing in action i cannot wait for next week and uh yeah this has been this has been a great series. I, I love WandaVision for what it's done and what it did. But this is, you know, I've said before, you know, months ago and, and when we were talking about the stuff all being announced, I could not wait for Falcon Winter Soldier. And it has definitely lived up. 
I prefer this to WandaVision. I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's better. It, it's a totally different thing, but I, this is what I was most looking forward to. It's definitely something I would kind of appeals to what I love about superheroes and the comic books in general. And I, it's lived up to everything that I wanted so far. And, and I don't think that last episode is going to be a complete bummer. Um, though I didn't love the, the ending of WandaVision, maybe my least favorite episode besides the first episode, um, which I'm hoping that will be changed this time. I, I would think so. But I still love both series, and this series, I think, just it's lived up to everything I wanted, and I, I cannot wait, not just to see the climax of Sam as Captain America, but seeing, like, again, where the end credit scenes are, where, like, what does Zemo fit into this? How does a power broker, Sharon Cart, all that stuff. What, is it all, what does this all mean? Will we see Thunderbolt Ross show up and, and, you know, have the Thunderbolts, Dark Avengers, whatever, right? Like, I can't wait to get into seeing what they tease going forward. Well, I think the stuff that they might tease for things going forward is going to be more mid post credit scene or end of episode epilogue type of material is where we'll see that. I think it's really about resolving the main points of focus and the main matters at hand still within this series. And so, yes, Power Broker slash Sharon Carter is a part of that and certainly resolving things with Carly and the rest of the Flag Smashers. So that's going to be part of it. And uh, of course, closure for Bucky by actually doing something to help Yuri Nakajima as, you know, kind of symbolizing other people that Bucky will do that for, of being of service to others and not just appeasing his own guilt. So we'll see that emotionally for Bucky. And then, of course, Sam Wilson. And a quick little, just pure comic fan note I like that. He's about to put on the suit at the end of this episode, meaning that we're not going to be waiting, I would think anyway, we're not going to be waiting until the last 15 minutes of the final episode to see him in that Captain America costume. It looks like it should start fairly early on. I mean, we'll probably open up with the Flag Smashers doing their thing in New York, and then Sam Wilson shows up. And now Sam Wilson, as Captain America, is going to need to battle Carly the rest of the Flag Smashers, Batrock the Leaper, and possibly John Walker as well. And, and so there are a lot of people for Sam Wilson to really, who through battle, uh, Sam Wilson be, will be demonstrating uh, his skills as Captain America, but also giving us plenty of looks, I think, at that brand new costume. And so I'm very excited about that, just from a purely visual perspective, but getting into the deeper meaning of this story to see what it will mean for Sam Wilson being Captain America. And I don't know that they'll go through because it's just one episode. I don't know that they will go through the full response to Sam Wilson as Captain America. We know that there will be people who would object, including the guy who happily took the shield from Sam and then gave it to somebody else. So maybe that factors into it. You're not, you're not going to reach the entire world at once. If you're Sam Wilson, and I think he knows that, because even though he is impossibly optimistic, it doesn't mean that he's not a fool. So, it, But it's not about that. It's not about waiting for permission, especially from people who are never going to give it to you, waiting, for, uh, waiting to be validated by people who are never going to offer that to you, just taking charge, because the only person who needed to, if there was ever anyone who needed to validate Sam Wilson's status as Captain America, it was Steve Rogers, and he already gave that. Uh, he already gave Sam that approval. So it's really more about Sam choosing for himself to be Captain America 
turning that symbol into what it was always meant to be and just never quite lived up to for Sam to begin that work in Captain America the, or in as Captain America to wrap up this series. And I think it's going to be incredible. And I think it's going to be awe-inspiring to just watch it visually, but then to see how people respond, like cut to AJ and Cass and so many others looking at Sam and, you know, of course, being excited by that, feeling seen by that, feeling represented in that, seeing themselves in it, I think is going to be wonderful. But then also, I think a conversation that we will probably get between Sam and Isaiah Bradley. I mean, I think this episode is going to do a lot next week to provide some sense of closure, but also just, uh, you know, a change of the status quo in a very necessary way. And, you know, and having people just begin the initial response to that is going to be so great. So I'm excited about this. I mean, as far as where this uh, stacks up against WandaVision, I, I just I, I'm not even in the business of comparing either of the two shows. I think they've both done an outstanding job of achieving what yeah. they set out to achieve. I'm just very, very much in love. Well, I mean, I love the hell out of WandaVision, very much in love with this story for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's been so good up until this point and the potential for the finale is just it really could be something very very special and extraordinary mm-hmm. next week and i just i can't wait to see it i am so excited yep. for this last chapter of this series but really it's only the beginning of sam wilson's yeah. time as captain america and that's going to be extraordinary i'm totally with you to go from this series to captain america movies with sam wilson avengers movies with sam wilson as mm. cap you know it was a fairly short-lived thing of Sam Wilson being Captain America in Marvel comic books, because comics always find a way to reset themselves back to the basic status quo. That's not something that the MCU has to do. And so I think it's time for Sam Wilson to be Captain America and be Captain America for good, you know, for a very, very long time, Uh, beginning with uh, when he shows up as Captain America. He's already been a great guy this, this whole time in the MCU, but his time as Cap begins next week, and I am totally here for it. Cannot wait to see it. And cannot wait to talk about it. But before we get out of here, we do have a mid credit scene to discuss. So uh, we have John Walker, who doesn't have his Captain America shield. So he's making his own. And uh, so he's also putting his Medals of Honor in it, which is interesting choice, but okay. It's interesting to see John Walker making his own shield because we know what that means for his future based on the comic books of being U.S. agent. But I'm also wondering how good of a shield is that going to be? Like, does he know that vibranium's the strongest metal on earth and like nothing else really compares to it? I don't know. Um, so we'll see how that shield holds up uh, when John Walker uses it presumably next week. But um, I am, it was interesting to see the kind of just the transition of where we figured it was going with John Walker with him becoming us agent. Um, and even though he's still trying to claim he's captain America, he's probably still going to be trying to make that claim. He hasn't given up that, He's been stripped of the title. He hasn't surrendered the title just yet, but uh, he's going to have to give it up next week because it's going to be proven once and for all that Sam Wilson is Captain America now and now and going into the future. Yep, absolutely. So before we wrap up this show, a few a uh, few folks to thank. Thank you very much to Patrick C, James K, Vittorio R, Tyler M, and Chad M. They are some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, where they have access to exclusive podcasts not available anywhere else. So if you want to get some exclusive shows, visit patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Or just hit the link in our show notes. Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at 
at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please follow my uh, new YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Um, we uh, announced a new little ser- uh, series that I'll be doing next uh, week, starting next week. We'll, re- we'll be uh, showcasing more independent comic book creators, which I'm really excited about. So uh, the first episode should be dropping next week, along with hopefully at the end of, of next week as well, the new uh, ver- or new video of the MCU required reading, which I'll be dropping and, and kind of doing a little bit of that and a, a live stream potentially to follow up with that as well. Um, the following week of what are we talking about? So look for all those things kind of be- being announced uh, late next week. Cool deal. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening to MCU Fan Show. We'll see you next time.